Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for her job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days bada bing bada boom welcome to this week's main episode of rotten mango i'm your host stephanie sue her boyfriend had a surprise for her you know he always had these little surprises that's what she loved about him. He always was surprising her with fancy dinners by the water, extravagant picnics in countryside estates, trips to Las Vegas. He loved a good surprise. And for some reason, she felt like this one was going to be extra special. Okay, he was being extra secretive. He wanted to blindfold her, take her somewhere secret, tie her up to a chair. I mean, she trusted him full heartedly. They've been dating for a while. Honestly, he's been talking about buying her a house recently. So not going to lie. She kind of had an inkling that he had bought her a house and she was going to take off the blindfold. Welcome home, babe. Maybe one of those nice new builds in the expensive Denver, Colorado area. She had her eyes on those. He knew it. But when Cody finally ripped off her blindfold, her eyes had a hard time adjusting to the dark. She was tied up to a chair in the middle of a living room, but it just wasn't what she was expecting. The living room was dark, dirty, the windows were boarded up. There were rolled up carpets on the side, one near the fireplace and another one on the mattress. Why, why is there a mattress on the living room floor? She was confused. She starts squinting her eyes, trying to make sense of the surprise. And her boyfriend gets up in her face. He smiles wickedly and says, welcome to my mortuary. And he rips off the blanket on the mattress. It reveals a woman naked and tied up. The two women, they lock eyes and Angie, the girl in the chair, I mean, she was terrified. She's looking up at her boyfriend and she says the words, we're not going to get out of here alive, right? As always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but there is a really good book on this case called Love Me to Death by Steve Jackson. The whole book, this whole case, I mean, it's wild. The book is really able to dive deep into the mindsets of what's going on with all the parties involved. 
It's incredibly thorough, well-researched, put together in such a way that you never for one second feel like you can even put the book down. And never for a second do you even forget the pain that these victims must have felt. I mean, it's so raw. It's so real. And I highly recommend checking out the book. It's the best deep dive that you'll get on this case. Now, with that being said, Cody's online profile was something else, okay? It read like this. Tell me if you want to talk to him after reading his online bio. Search no more. It's me, Cody. Hello, this cowboy could use some good friends right now. And if you're looking at this, then I'm sure you could use a good friend too. I would be honored to have you as my good friend and be yours too. I'm sure easygoing and I will write anyone with my heart. I'm forever young at heart and I'm still willing to try new things. I do my best in life. I try to live to the fullest despite the difficult circumstances. I love writing, horses, all types of music, reading books, kayaking scuba diving volunteer work my daughter i love her the most though she's got me wrapped around her finger i love her more than i love my pickup truck oh and i love cats and dogs anyway i'd love to hear from you you might not think that he's a walking red flag but he absolutely was if he had a yelp review and all of his exes could leave yelp reviews which that i wish that was a thing for people's dating histories if they could leave a review one of cody's ex-girlfriends would talk about the most traumatic strange thing that happened to her because of him she said so cody and i were sitting around playing this little game it's called the secret game we take turns revealing our deepest darkest secrets you know, the ones that you don't really want to talk about. It's not hee-hee-ha, sometimes I fart. I mean, the ones that you're really ashamed about. It's our way of getting closer. So I confessed once that I had sex with a married man. I mean, it's nothing to be proud of. She just didn't expect that 10 minutes later, she would be trembling, holding her phone in her hand up to her ear, telling the married man's wife, she's telling the wife, how she slept with her husband, when it happened, how it happened, and how she knew that he was married when they slept with each other. Is he forcing her to do that? Yes. It felt gross, heartbreaking, and sick, and she only did it because Cody forced her to. He forced her to call the man's wife and tell her all the illicit details of their affair. It was emotionally traumatizing. Another review would have said, Yeah, but he, did he take you to a swingers motel? Did he? Because that's what he did to me. I thought it was a romantic getaway. We just had a child together. So it's, you know, it's supposed to be like a baby moon, I guess. We get to the motel room. He insists we watch porn together, which he knows I don't like, but he said I needed to watch it to quote unquote, give him a proper blowjob. Then he quote unquote, taught me how to masturbate. So after this, I think, okay, we're finally going to relax a little bit. We go to the pool area. And this guy comes up and starts touching my leg. And I'm like, oh my God, Cody, are you seeing this? This guy is freaking me out. He's touching my leg. Are you, you going to do something about it? Normally, Cody's super jealous, crazy jealous. But today he's like, don't worry about it. That kind of thing happens here. I'm like, what? I, I just want to go upstairs because everyone's starting to have sex in the pool area. And this is making me so uncomfortable. What kind of hotel is this? They're having sex literally in front of us in the open. They go back to their room and he's like, we want to have some fun. Let me tie you up and blindfold you to the bed. She goes along with it, but then he suggests that they open the curtain. Now, this is when she finds out that it's a swingers hotel. He tells her that open curtains means everyone is free to watch. Open door means you're free to join. She's freaking out. She said, I don't want to do any of this, but if we have to, then just the curtain and nothing else. She's blindfolded and they start doing it. But then she feels this pause and it's like the weight is being shifted off the bed. And then an unfamiliar smell and oh my God, somebody else is on top of her. 
She starts screaming bloody murder. Cody was Cody got whoever was in the room out, which side note, the other guy was pissed because it's a swingers motel. So clearly he thought it was consensual. But uh, yeah, take me to a swingers motel. Zero out of five stars. This guy sucks. To make it all worse, you would think that I was the one that was mad at him. No, the next day he kicked me out of our house and broke up with me because I didn't want to have sex with someone else in front of him. Another one of his girlfriends might have written, he loves cats and dogs. <laughs> Is that what he said? He loves cats and dogs. I'm still in therapy after what happened. Just traumatizing. Cody was sleeping over at her house and it was just the two of them and her little cute cat. All the doors are locked, so they jump into bed, fall asleep, and she wakes up to this noise, and it sounds like yelling, and she looks over. Cody's not in bed. Oh my god, what if someone broke in? What if someone is attacking Cody? So she runs out of the bed, into the kitchen, and she sees guts everywhere. Intestines hanging on the counter, guts, gore, blood everywhere. In her still sleepy state, it takes her a second to connect the dots. Cody is covered in blood. He looks over at her, and he says... Clean this shit up. Your cat kept fucking waking me up. And he walked into her room and passed out. She was forced to clean up her murdered cat's remains while Cody slept in her bed. Cody seems like the last person anyone would want to date. But he was out looking. He kept updating his profile. He really was looking for a pen pal. He wanted a good friend slash a girlfriend. In his defense, he would say, I mean, even serial killers in prison get lonely. Come on. Gotta find a girlfriend somehow. Oh, yeah, those what, online postings does... were from jail. Oh, oh. So let's talk about Cody, the serial killer. Now, there's this top of the line outdoor equipment store in Washington, D.C. I think it was called like Hudson Bay Outfitters or something. If you're looking for the best camping gear, kayaking gear, bear mace, anything that you need, this is the place that you're going to get it. And everything is top notch quality. Karen Wilson really liked working there. I mean, she loved it so much that she became the first female manager in the history of the store, which doesn't sound shocking, but I tell you, the look on some camping Chad dude's face when they asked to speak to the manager and in walks 22-year-old Karen with her strawberry blonde hair down to her waist. I mean, the looks were worth the job. They were priceless. Besides, Karen knew what she was doing. She earned the job. She was always a hard worker, so goes to college. Two years into getting an English degree, she's sitting there. Her brain is foggy. She's like, am I really going to do this for the rest of my life? Like sit in this, the best years of my youth. I'm sitting here learning grammar and shit. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm wasting away. I got to get out of there. So she drops out and she made adventure her full-time focus. She takes up rock climbing, cave exploring, canoeing. She actually tried to make the U.S. Olympic canoe team on two separate occasions. Each time she came up second just narrowly missing the mark. So our girl Karen knew what the hell she was doing when she was, you know, out here in this outdoor store. One day, man walks into the store. He looks like all the other hikers, campers, wilderness explorers, maybe a little too confident in his own abilities. Look at him strutting his way through the aisles. But he walks straight up to Karen and says, do you, uh, do you work here? Great, okay, so I need to get some hiking equipment. I'm gonna hike the Appalachian Trail and I'm gonna leave, oh, well, like this afternoon. So I need to get it all right now. Wow. Okay. Right. This afternoon. Okay. Well, let's um, get you a cart and start filling it up. So she gets him everything that he's going to need to hike the trail, checks him out at the register and sends him on his merry way. But the next day, the guy is back. And she's like, God, is this going to be one of those customers that tries to return everything after he realizes that the hiking the trail is not sunshine and rainbows? 
Hi, uh, I, I thought you'd be hiking. What brings you back? Did you forget something? Actually, yeah. I decided maybe I didn't want to go on the trail. In fact, I feel like there's something else I'd rather do. Do you want to grab lunch with me? Okay, I know. It's like the movies. Karen was taken aback. I mean, she's looking this guy up and down and she couldn't help but let out a little laugh. In a good way. The guy was interesting. He was different. He wore cowboy boots and a cowboy hat and he was pretty good looking. Like, not that tall, but um, well built. He had abs that you could wash laundry on if you were in a pinch out in the wilderness. She's looking at him and thinking, you know what? <sighs> yeah, I'll go on the date with you. And just like that, the two went on a date during her lunch break. And the initial date itself was very cute. Cody showed up in a brand new four-wheel drive Subaru, drove her out to this fancy countryside estate that he rented for their date. He had a picnic and he rented a countryside estate for their date. I don't even know if someone would reserve a table at the freaking Cheesecake Factory for a first date with me. So she's sitting out on this little picnic blanket and she's smitten. I mean, can you blame her? This is the type of date that you see on TikTok and everyone is commenting, see, if he wanted to, he would. They're just sitting in front of these tall white pine trees. I mean, it was, it was a dream. And you know, it's not like Cody wanted anything in return. Cody was the ultimate gentleman. He didn't want to take her home after this date. He just wanted to keep taking her out on these fancy dates. He picked her up in a limo from her house. They would dine at the most fancy restaurants in Washington, D.C. He even encouraged her to stop smoking and drinking. Even when Cody met Karen's parents, he starts taking out the whole family to the finest restaurants in Washington, D.C. And he seemed to know all the owners. They would escort him from the long line outside, get him one of the best tables that were only reserved for celebrities and politicians. Then, you know, he would be greeted by the staff where he would even know everyone down from the waiter to the head chef to the pianist at these establishments. What? It was wild. How is he so good? That's what I'm saying. To Karen and her whole family, and honestly, anyone, I'm sure, it felt like... Who the fuck is this guy? Is he low-key running Washington, D.C.? Does he know the president or something? I mean, this is not a small town. This is an elite area filled with some of the most high-powered politicians in the world. How is he getting such good service? Security. That's how. So Cody allegedly owned a security company called Neil Tech, which sold security systems. And apparently he even installed alarm systems in the White House. The motherforking White House? So he claimed he was a government contractor. I mean, that would explain all the money that he has. You know, he's blowing a lot. He would blow money on fancy restaurants, limos. The guy got a haircut every two weeks and he would spend no less than $200 a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) What? So dating Cody felt like Karen was dating her dream guy. I mean, he was so, not only that, he was so well-versed. Even during dinners, Cody could just quote any philosopher. He was so well-read. If there was a random book that you wanted to talk about, chances are Cody already knew about it. He could have full-blown intellectual conversations on just about anything. So while they sat there in these dimly lit fancy restaurants, candlelight flickering between them, the sweet sound of a live pianist floating in the air, Cody would reach over and grab Karen's hand and tell her about his life. You know, he had an interesting life. Yeah, and uh, that's when, you know, I knew what I had to do. I had to join the U.S. Army Green Berets, and (laughs) it's crazy, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's wild, Cody. How was that? 
Definitely wasn't easy. Technically, we were considered a tier one force, so we were all trained by the U.S. Army's first special warfare training group. I mean, it was a lot, but I think it gave me a lot of insight on counterinsurgency, foreign internal defense, counterterrorism, information operations, which led me to obviously starting Neotex, and you know, now I have a contract with the government. Anyway, you know, eventually I felt like my time in the army was done. I needed to accomplish what I had to get done, and I, I left. For a while, I felt like I was floating, right? And then I joined this nonprofit. I mean, you know, I volunteered for the Alaska Mountain Rescue Group. I did a lot of avalanche response there. You know, I saw a lot of things I'll never forget. A lot of things that'll stay with me forever. Oh, here, look, this is a picture of right before we went in for a search and rescue. Uh, yeah, each snowshoe weighed like 10 pounds each, but I, I just loved making an impact, you know? And Karen would look up at the man of her dreams sitting across from her at this table. And the waiter would come over to pour some more wine. I mean, this guy is perfect. He's not even full of himself. He's kind of a weird, eccentric, quirky guy. But aren't all the rich guys in Washington, D.C. weird and eccentric? I mean, Cody, how did you discover that you love the outdoors this much? And just you love being on the go? Uh, it's a funny story. My neighbors probably still talk about it. When I was a kid, the neighbors would look out their window, cupping their hands on their glass, and then be like, there goes that crazy Cody kid again. And I would run up and down the neighborhood with a canoe over my head. There was no river nearby. There was no body of water. I wasn't going canoeing. I just wanted to see if I could do it for long periods of time, just in case, you know? They all thought I was insane. But you know who didn't? My mom. Yeah, I, I love my mom. <laughs> I will always have a special place in my heart for my mom. You know, she really, she really taught me so much. I have her to thank for everything. And then Karen would see the moistness come to Cody's eyes, a tear perhaps. You know, it was rough for us. My dad suffered a heart attack while driving the family car and he was able to pull over, but before the paramedics came, uh, he died in my arms. Took his last breath in my arms. Oh, I'm so sorry, Cody, I didn't know. It's fine, you know. Cody wasn't the type to make it awkward. He's the type to quickly wipe his eye, get up and ask if Karen wanted to dance, you know? That type of guy. And she'd be like, right now? Nobody else is dancing. We're in the middle of a restaurant. But Cody wouldn't care. That's the type of guy he was. I mean, even listening to this, don't you feel like you're listening to a romantic audiobook of a couple falling in love rather than a true crime podcast? Well, that's the point. That's what Cody wanted. That's what he made these women feel. He was the full package. The only question Karen had was, how on earth is this guy still single? How is he not taken already? And the answer to that is quite simple. He technically was. He technically was taken. Okay, don't freak out. Don't freak out, Karen. Just hear me out. I do live with another woman, but it is completely, purely platonic. We don't even like each other. It's just a situation. Karen believed it. Until one day she went over to his house and his quote-unquote platonic friend was coming out of the building. Cody reaches over in the car and slams Karen's head down. Stuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> when they go into the building, Karen realizes that there's one single bed. A king-sized bed. How is that platonic? But Karen thought maybe she could overlook this one thing. You know, after all, she's been through her fair share of complicated breakups. And I mean, this guy is rich. I'm sure that adds another layer of complexity to their alleged breakup. But you're sure you guys are just friends, right? Yeah, we're divorced. I left her after finding her in bed with another man. So yeah, trust me, not going back to that. Karen felt really bad, but also really confused. I mean, what kind of girl would be stupid enough to cheat on Cody? And she's not just saying that because he's rich. No, 
She's saying that because his version of foreplay was elegant and luxurious. It was a different league from these other guys that you would meet at bars. The other guys had a hard time finding specific parts in her anatomy, but Cody, Cody did the full nine yards each time. Fancy dinner followed up by walking to his house with rose cut petals covering the bed. Then here, walk this way. Another rose petal trail leading to the bathtub, which is fizzling with bubbles. Aromatic lotions everywhere. The bath isn't for the two of you, though. It's just for you. Cody wants to stay on outside and massage your shoulders. Karen had never met a man like this. He felt like real sophistication and class. But there was that, that one flag, that one red flag that was getting a little bit harder to overlook each time. No, it's not the king-size bed with his female friend inside or his obsession with cowboy hats because he had an obsession with cowboy hats. No, it was the fact that Cody loved to mumble under his breath while random women walked by. So for example, the two would walk down a sidewalk. Sunday afternoon, sun is shining, families are out and about. And a woman would jog past the couple. Maybe she's just in a sports bra and leggings. I mean, that's not shocking. But Cody would mumble under his breath. Slut. Or if another woman walked past and maybe she made eye contact with the couple and I don't know, this is what I would do out of genuine awkwardness. I would just do a little small smile, right? (laughs) But Cody would mumble, fucking whore. (laughs) They were never loud enough for the woman to hear, but Karen heard and she was bothered by it. I mean, it's embarrassing, it's confusing and she didn't understand and she would scream, can you please stop that, please? (laughs) But he would keep doing it. So Karen thought, okay, it's weird, it is weird, but before she, you know, has a full-on conversation with the guy, (laughs) why do you keep calling everyone a freaking slut? Cody vanished, disappeared off the face of the earth, no calls, nothing. Karen gets ghosted. She's trying to convince herself, okay, he's probably busy with work, or maybe he's (laughs) out for business, even though he's ghosting me for weeks at this point. And, you know, her heartache got so bad that when he finally came back from his, quote, business trip, Karen wasn't even mad at him anymore. She was just so excited that he was back. And this became a regular thing. He would just ghost her for weeks. It seemed like every time he came back, though, something was a bit off. He didn't really seem like his self each time. Side note, one time he did leave a seven-page letter front and back, so more like 14 pages, listing all of Karen's flaws and faults. And then just vanished for a few weeks. And when he came back, he would be a little less sweet and a little less caring each time and his sexual fantasies were getting more out there. Instead of talking about rescuing people from avalanches in Alaska, Cody would hold her hand over to a candlelit dinner and ask her, have you ever thought about a threesome? Oh, um, I'm sure, I guess, but really only as a fantasy, you know, I would never actually consider doing something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. Same here. Anyway, off topic, but I rented this mountain lodge for us in the woods for our getaway. Would love for you to join me this weekend. Okay, sounds good. They drive up there and it's like a winter paradise, literally. Cody had lined up a bunch of cocaine for Karen to do, which she wasn't really into it, but, um, you know, she was just trying to have a good time. She slipped into her cutest little lingerie set. They open up their bottle of champagne. Things are getting warm. They're getting fuzzy. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings. Kills the mood. I mean, it was weird because nobody even knew that they were there. Maybe it was the owners of the lodge. Cody picked up. He seemed to know the person that he was talking to on the phone. And he seemed excited. When he hung up, he looked at Karen and he's practically jumping up and down, foaming at the mouth. I'm going to fulfill your fantasy of having sex with two guys. My friend Jesse is in the room right next door and he's got dark hair, green eyes, just like what you wanted. What? When did I say that? 
Oh, fork. Okay, so remember how Cody kept asking her about the threesome? Well, he kept asking her, what's your ideal second man type? And she didn't know what to say. She just thought it would be weird if she was like, exactly like you, Cody. So she said the exact opposite. Cody was blonde haired and blue eyed. So she said, I don't know, I guess someone with dark hair and green eyes. She didn't mean anything of it. It was all a joke. But now, now she's sitting there vulnerable in her lingerie and she's pissed. I mean, you were just going to blindside me? When were you going to tell me that this was what this mountain trip was about? This is not the type of surprise that you just give someone. And Karen is getting worked up. She feels the tears streaming down her face and she starts getting dressed. She's about to leave. But Cody grabs her by the arm and his whole demeanor changes and says, You passed. What? What What do you mean I passed? You passed. If you had said yes to the threesome, our relationship would have been over. What? What are you talking about? I was testing you about the threesome and you passed. So he's trying to make it seem like I was just testing you. (laughs) But was it though? No, probably not. And Karen's mind is spinning like, is this guy for real? But then again, you know, rich people are weird. We need to stop giving them these excuses, okay? But like they're eccentric, they're weird. Maybe they operate differently. Maybe they have trust issues. Maybe this is his trauma from his ex-wife cheating on him. So Karen stayed with Cody and even jumped to move with him to Houston, Texas. I mean, Houston is where things really start getting weird, you know? Like, Houston is where suddenly he goes broke. Apparently, his debit card and his credit card doesn't work in Houston, Texas. It only works in Washington, D.C. Because he has no money all of a sudden. He's renting an apartment in Karen's name. He's forcing Karen to work, and he's not working at all. He's not bringing in money. He forces her to get married. They go down to the courthouse and just get married. It's the weirdest thing. Like, everything, transaction denied in Houston, Texas. None of the money is working. But Karen is still fine with it because Cody is the man of her dreams, right? Maybe, maybe not. Cody was a full-on mama's boy. He was actually born a William Lee Neal. He changed his name to Cody Neal. And uh, Cody's dad was in the Air Force in San Antonio, Texas. So Texas is where he spent most of his childhood. Cody had siblings growing up, but for some reason, he was his mom's golden child. He was the apple of her eye. She doted on him, neglected her other children. I mean, everything was for Cody. She thought the sun literally revolved around mother freaking Cody. Even Cody said, you know, I could get away with murder when it comes to my mom. She really loves me, you know? We have a good relationship. My mom was awesome. Oh, yeah. The definition of my mom was love. I mean, she was beautiful. A gorgeous brunette. She looked like a movie star, but she was still very much a mother. She was devoted to her family and everything. I mean, so good. And my dad, well, I was proud of him. He was a decorated World War II veteran. He actually flew a few missions during the war over the South Pacific. So the guy went through a lot. I got my love for country music from him. That's what we bonded over. Honestly, I had a pretty good relationship with both my parents. It's the siblings I never got along with, you know? My sisters, they would make up these horrid lies. They would run up to our parents and say, Mom, Dad, help me. Look, Cody just choked me. Look at us. Look at the bruises. They would flash the red marks around their necks. And, you know, my dad would beat me up for it. So he's like, yeah, I hated my siblings. They would always lie. When I choke them out 10%, they would lie and say I choked them out 90%. Okay, strange. 
When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently, I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected Just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s. Because the game is set in the 1920s, it just has the most aesthetic game design ever, and it's so cozy. Whenever I need a break from the suspense, I can pause the story and head over to my private island. Yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place the rest of cody's childhood seems to be relatively normal but then uh things start going downhill cody said he wanted to be a church minister no scratch that he wanted to be an fbi agent yeah that's what he wanted to do when his parents asked him why he changed his mind from being a church minister to an fbi agent he didn't tell them that it was allegedly because he was molested by a minister So he claimed that he was molested by a minister when he was a kid. Then when he was about 13 to 14 years old, there was this family friend who was married. So imagine it like Mrs. Smith was married to Mr. Smith. And Mm -hmm. Mrs. Smith is friends with Cody's parents. She was an older woman, way older than Cody's own mom, and Cody's barely a teenager. But this woman allegedly raped him. Why? It said that her husband had been cheating on her with a younger girl and she was pissed. So to get revenge, she raped the 13-year-old boy. Cody said, I felt so gross after that, I couldn't wash myself long enough. I didn't tell anyone what was going on. She said if I ever talked about it, my family would be so grossed out that they would disown me. 
I mean, it was bad because on one hand, I tried to reason with myself that sex with a beautiful woman wasn't so bad. But then on the other hand, I felt gross and disgusting. And I felt so guilty. Apparently, the two of them had a six-month-long affair and quotes around the affair because, I mean, Cody was raped. It wasn't an affair. Which, side note, this is around when Cody decided instead of being raped, he wanted to be the rapist. So at the time that he's being raped by this older woman, he turns around and he starts molesting a younger girl. Then eventually the woman breaks up with him, which I don't even know if you can really call it a breakup because it's the assaults. And then Cody was devastated. He said he was so confused. He was floating through his life and eventually joined the army at 17. He was, he was just lost in this world. But the army led to his third traumatic incident in life. Cody said his dream was to be part of the Green Berets and make his dad proud. But when he was alone in his quarters, falling asleep, he felt someone climb on top of him. It was his sergeant. And when people found out, Cody said that all of his dreams were shattered because everyone blamed him. They said that either Cody was asking for it or that he was gay and he was trying to cover it up. So Cody quit the army, went back home, and started seeing the original molester, the married woman again. And he said that uh, he was the one that sought her out this time. He looked her in the eye and said, you had me as a boy, now have me as a man. At one point, the two allegedly even thought about getting married, but Cody ended things. He said, you know, I got no ill feelings towards her. Lord knows that she went through a lot, but I can't help but wonder if she's the reason that I turned out the way that I am. She was just passing on all her anger and pain, almost like it was a demon, a demon that she passed on to me. You know, she gave it to me and I don't blame her, but it all started with her. That's when my lights went out. I became distant with my family, not as cheerful. I started getting into trouble more. I molested that other girl. And because of that, you know, I couldn't be a church minister or an FBI agent anymore. Not after what I did. So, um, yeah. Cody said he had this anger in him that he needed to get out. And well, you and I already know where this is going. So go hug your pets because I hate this guy. Cody starts going after cats. But to preface, he says this. I love animals. I really do. I just kill the ones that are mean to me. One time, I went to pet this cat. Cute little thing. Cute little cat. Then it clawed me. I mean, I was so pissed. I couldn't help myself. I grabbed a pitchfork and I killed the cat. It attacked me. I defended myself. I killed it. Simple as that. He also killed one of his girlfriend's cats in the middle of the night because it kept scratching at him. Then made her clean up the mess in her own kitchen. So, um, yeah. Remember that? He said, I just killed the ones that are mean to me. You know, I had this one dog that bit me once and I killed him too. I punched its brain in. And then this little puppy came over and bit me and I killed it. The puppy was mean, you know, I'm just saying something was wrong with that puppy. Cody associated with animals less and less, but he still continued to kill them. He said, um, you know, I only kill the animals in self-defense, but then it got to a point where I just really wanted to kill people. So I thought better to kill a dog than a full on human being. Am I right? Does that make sense? No, not really. Have you tried therapy? Just to keep in mind, the only things that we know about Cody's childhood come from Cody himself. And I think that means that he's probably done a lot more messed up stuff than this. If this is just what he's admitting to, think of all the things that he actually doesn't want to admit to. Yeah, or he thinks it's no big no deal. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel inclined to believe that he was abused in some way, shape, or form, probably sexually, but that doesn't really change anything. I mean, this guy is an evil, vile human being, if we can even call him a human being. So no, Karen knew none of this. I mean, none of the women Cody came across would know any of this, or else they would have run in the opposite direction, calling the police on the way. Karen just thought he's acting a bit strange because he's stressed from work. So after the launch incident, there was that 
another bizarre turning point in their relationship. The two of them were in their living room, and Cody said, Hey, uh, I really want to play a game. It's where we sit here and we share with each other our deepest, darkest secrets. Okay, I'll go first. And I'm kind of scared to share this one with you because this is one of my deepest ones, but I've slept with a man before. Karen's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Okay, now my your turn. Let me ask you something, Karen. Have you ever slept with a married man? Karen hesitated. She wasn't proud, but she's trying to be as honest as possible, right? Yeah, um, one time, it was a total mistake and I've regretted it ever since. I mean, obviously Karen knew Cody wasn't going to be happy with that answer. No, no one's going to be happy with that. But she was taken aback at how violent Cody got. My best theory is that it reminded him of the woman who molested him when he was younger because she was cheating on their marriage. But whatever it was, Cody knocked Karen to the ground and started strangling her. He started screaming, you're lying. You're just a whore. You're a whore. Karen was squirming, gasping for air, and after what felt like an eternity, he jumped off of Karen, and Karen was so confused and in shock. I mean, he had never, ever been violent before. I mean, who is this guy? He sits back. He doesn't even address what he's done. He doesn't apologize. He sits there staring straight into Karen's eyes, and he says, call them. Call them right now and confess. It's the only way I'll forgive you. So yeah. He sat there and forced his wife, Karen, to call the married man that she had an affair with, demand to speak to his wife, and confess everything. I think he did that to humiliate her or... Yeah, to just get power because, I mean, it seems like this guy gets off on power. I do think that he also has a Madonna whore complex. So it's kind of this idea that some cis straight males will only see women as two things, a whore or almost like this motherly figure. Mm. And once they're this motherly figure, they can't be a whore and have this fun sex life. And if they're a whore and have a fun sex life, they can't be a human being. They're just a whore. That's a very simplified way of putting it. It's actually a lot more nuanced and it's very prevalent. Yeah. So it's scary because a lot of it is the theory is that this plays into why um, sex drive goes down in married couples after a woman gives birth because they transition into like the... From the, I guess, the whore stage to this angelic, like, we can't touch her. She's like a mom. What? Yeah, it's really weird. Um, Some people believe that Ted Bundy had it, which is why he was able to have a long-term girlfriend that he was pretty nice to and respectful towards. Meanwhile, everybody else he saw as whores. So he's able to compartmentalize women into two categories. And neither of them are good categories, and we shouldn't be put in either, but you get the idea. So I think that once you know, Karen kind of transitioned from this woman that he was putting on a pedestal into what he categorized as a whore because she slept with a married man. I mean, the treatment towards Karen just keeps going down. If she even made eye contact with another guy in public, he would yank her elbow so hard that it was going to leave a bruise. He would escort her out of wherever they were. If she came home from work, he would open the door and demand to know, who have you been fucking, huh? She's like, I'm, I was just at work. He would berate her all the way home and he would say things like, see, you're a default slut. You're untrustworthy. And if you want me to trust you, you have to be punished. Meanwhile, Cody was free to do whatever he wanted because of course he was. The rules don't apply to him. He started working as a maintenance man for the apartment building that they live in. And after being called to fix someone's sink, he would run back up to Karen and he would smirk. That woman tricked me. Her sink was fine. She opened the door in her lingerie. She just wanted to sleep with me. But God forbid Karen got jealous because Cody would get violent. Karen was just feeling really off and their sex life was going downhill. It was no longer pleasurable or mutually satisfying. It was, it was all about pain now. 
Cody would always remind her, pain is good, remember? It hurts because it's good. So finally, after a year of this, you know, they want to leave Texas. They eventually settle down together in Tennessee, which is also the place that they break up for good. Karen remembered even after their breakup, Cody always knew what she was doing. Her every move. I mean, he was paying the neighbors to keep tabs on her. She would come home from work and he would know exactly what time to call her right when she walked in the door. She would buy a new car and ring, ring, it would be Cody telling her that he liked the color that she picked out and it's a good model. I hope the dealers didn't try to scam you. Sometimes he would call her not to taunt her about stalking her and knowing everything, but to ask her for money because the mafia was after him. It was just so, so bizarre. And then one time Cody showed up at her door and asked her to leave. Not her apartment, not the area, the state of Tennessee. He straight up told her, your presence in the same state as me is just throwing everything off. Karen was over it. She told him to go fuck himself and slam the door in his face. And she heard him yelling through the door, a very, very chilling prediction. He said, fuck you. I'm going to fuck over every woman in my path. Y'all ain't nothing but a bunch of whores. It seemed like Cody meant what he said because he wasted no time. He's dating another woman named Karen and the two end up getting married and it was a, it was a very short-lived marriage. Karen thought she was in love. Cody scammed her of tens of thousands of dollars and there was nothing she could do about it because they were legally married. Even when she confronted Cody about it, he said, anybody stupid enough to believe me deserves to get fucked. So back-to-back divorces from both Karens and Cody finds himself alone at the local bars. He's moved to Denver, Colorado at this point and he's well-known to the bar hoppers. It's hard to not miss him with his over-the-top personality, his cowboy boots, his cowboy hat. They all called him Wild Bill Cody. And they all really liked Wild Bill Cody. Cody would walk in and everyone would swing their drinks up in the air. Yeehaw, Wild Bill Cody. They were excited because Cody knew how to party. He would leave hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in tips for strippers in one night. He, what? Yeah. He always bought rounds and rounds of drinks for the whole bar. He loved to shower bartenders with cash. I mean, the guy knew how to party and it seemed like he had the means. Where did he get the means? Oh, just you wait. So seeing all of this, seeing all the means, Jennifer Tate, an 18-year-old dancer at one of the bars, thought Cody was a really nice guy, but she felt like she had no chance with a guy like that. He was always surrounded by the prettiest dancers, the most sought-after dancers, the ones that were like supermodel height and just legs for days. Jennifer's nickname was Baby Half Pint because she was really small and petite. So she just didn't think she stood a chance. She just watched from afar till it was her 19th birthday. Jennifer was working that day, got up on the stage. Cody walked straight up and laid out $1,001 bills and asked her out. She was so impressed. I mean, yeah, sure, in the beginning, she was impressed by his crazy wild personality, which was borderline charismatic, but she was also impressed by his money. And once they went on their first date, it was at this Chinese spot, okay? Food is good. Ambiance even better. There, It's not packed with people everywhere. It feels very intimate. And even if it were, all Cody seemed to have eyes for were Jennifer. He gave her his undivided attention, and she was just so impressed by how kind he was. He genuinely wanted to get to know her. He asked her questions. He cared that she didn't want to be a dancer forever. He cared that she wanted to marry a good man and that she hated drugs and she just wanted to feel supported. Cody looked at her like he understood that feeling, like he could be there for her, like he wanted to support her. He looked at her across the table full of delicious Chinese food and he said, I challenge you, 
I challenge you to use your chopsticks to pick up an ice cube from my water. And if you can do it on the first attempt, I will fly both of us to Las Vegas and we will get married tonight. And I will take care of you forever. What? Jennifer felt her heart beating because this is so impulsive, but it felt like one of those romantic movies. She picks up her chopsticks and she tries and she misses it the first time. She gets it on the second. And Jennifer knew that she was in love then and there because she felt disappointment. They didn't end up flying to Las Vegas and getting married, at least not that night. But their relationship starts moving super speed after that. Jennifer moves in with him. I mean, it was a bit of a shock because considering how rich he was, his tiny apartment had mismatched furniture and like a mattress on the floor. But Jennifer didn't care. If Cody was rich, making it rain on her, or if he had no money, she loved him for who he was. He did the whole bubble baths, the rose petals on their bed. He bought her nice clothes, showered her in gifts. I mean... Maybe he's not the best with his money, but he liked to spend it on her. I mean, that must mean something, right? So very quickly, Jennifer gets married and they get pregnant and she's over the moon. Jennifer had always wanted her own family, but this is when she starts seeing the real Cody. For one, Jennifer went out to dinner with a friend of hers, a guy friend who happened to be gay. And yeah, Jennifer thought, okay, what's wrong with that? It's better than hanging out with a straight guy friend, right? Cody didn't agree. He packed all of her things into garbage bags, threw her out when she was 19 and two months pregnant. She had to beg him for forgiveness for going on a lunch date with a friend. But he would keep yelling at her. Don't you know how much this hurts me? I was molested by a preacher when I was young. Which is completely out of context and doesn't even make sense. And I don't know the relevancy of all of that. But then he would yell at her. You're a slut. You're a whore. And Jennifer would shake and apologize and cry. And he would get up in her face and he would say things like, if you're scared now, you don't know how evil I can be. You don't know the real meaning of scared. From that point on, Cody was no longer the good guy that Jennifer thought he was. He started taking pregnant Jennifer to the local bars. He would laugh sadistically while he threw cash over the railing onto the dance floor. And he would watch people dive on top of each other and squirm to pick it up. And while other people were distracted by the sight of falling money, Jennifer would see her husband touching up on a waitress's upper legs, in full view of his pregnant wife. Then she finds out that the guy has been cheating on her with ex-coworkers of hers from the strip club she used to work at. He would force her to watch porn with him. And it was just, it was a lot. I mean, he would openly cheat on her to the point where Jennifer felt so stuck to accept that this was her life. She caught herself talking on the phone with him once And he was clearly with another woman. And instead of leaving, instead of screaming, she just said, don't forget to wear a condom. So she hated being with Cody. Everything about it. There was also this one weird rule that she wasn't allowed to cook dinner ever, which sounds like the opposite of someone like Cody. Cody sounds like the type that would freak out if dinner's not on the table by a certain time, but nope. Cody never wanted Jennifer to cook for him or herself because they had to order pizza every single night. Every single night night and if god forbid jennifer being pregnant was able was going to gag with the thought of another pizza dinner and maybe she just wanted to make herself something a little bit more nutritious he would beat her he would pack her bags and abandon her at her mom's house well he just loves pizza i don't know it's just like a weird control thing and i guess he was going through a pizza phase but really really bad no During her entire pregnancy, I mean, this is what she's putting up with. And even when she gives birth, she calls him from the hospital and he says, God damn it, I'm busy right now. He was at a bar. He was at a bar when she gave birth. 
But like the father of the year that he is, he did pick her up when she was discharged, took her home and uh, never took care of that baby. Literally did not bond with that baby. In fact, the reason that Jennifer and Cody broke up is because Jennifer suspected that Cody was molesting their child. So there was a lot of stuff going on in their lives. Cody was being investigated by the FBI for a kidnapping and an assault that took place years and years ago from one of the places that he used to live in, right? So he's trying to explain to Jennifer, this is all what the FBI does. They're just trying to pick someone easy to blame it all on. It's not true. You need to just relax and it's going to be okay. Why don't you just take it easy? I will watch our kid for the night. So Cody goes through the motions of giving their daughter a bath and everything. And the next day, Jennifer kind of feels good. She feels good about where their relationship is going. And she's about to give her daughter a bath. And now her daughter normally loves baths. But that day she starts freaking out, screaming bloody murder the minute that she lands in the bathtub. And Jennifer just suspected something was weird. So she left him. And uh, that was the end of their marriage. And that was the beginning of Cody's relationship with Rebecca Holberton. And this is really depressing, but Rebecca was just starting to live her best life. You know, she was single for once, bought herself a new town home, and it wasn't in the best area. It was mostly rural, but Rebecca's house was, it was hers. And she was so excited to start the remodeling and making it feel like a home. She, she had no inkling at all that her dream home, her most prized possession, would soon become a grisly murder house, nicknamed The Mortuary. Cody was 40 when he met Rebecca. So gone are his wilderness days. You know, it's been 15 years since he walked into that wilderness store and chatted up Karen, the manager. Mm -hmm. He's no longer the athletic, outdoorsy man, you know. He barely worked out. He drank his belly full of beer. But everyone said there's one thing a beer gut can't take away from you, and that's your charm. Cody still had that charm. He met Rebecca at the bar and they start talking and, you know, the reason he drinks beer, oh, it's his rough life, you know? It's because he has this evil, unfaithful stripper of an ex-wife who's keeping their daughter from him. All he wants to do is just see their kid, you know? He just wants to be a part of their kid's life. Spoiler alert, this is not true. Cody could not care less. He had tossed Jennifer and their child to the side and paid nothing in child support. But he sobbed on and the story was good. He was going to milk it for all it's worth. You know, he would keep saying... My hands are tied. I I have a trust fund that's about to go through, but it's tied up in the divorce case right now. Oh, wow, I I didn't know you came from a wealthy family. Cody would chuckle, and he would look out into the abyss like he's thinking something really dark. There was this aura of mystery in his gaze. (laughs) Um, I I don't have rich parents. I, um, well, that's why I started doing what I did. I mean, I trust you, so I'll tell you, but I used to work for the family back in the day. Oh, like a family business? Oh, you're so cute. No, um, the family is the mafia in Las Vegas. The mafia. I was a hitman. I was supposed to go take a hit on this old rich guy, but I just um, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and he chugs a sip of his beer. Couldn't do it. I um, I froze, you know, and he was really grateful that I had a heart and I wasn't like the other hitman. I wasn't like the other hitman. <laughs> So I I guess he secretly set up a trust fund for me without me knowing, and now he's dead. It's mine. Listen, Cody had no mob ties. He was no hitman, but this is just his way of getting girls to sleep with him and ultimately getting women to let them borrow their money. This is the part where I'm like, wait, but the guy is spending so much money to go on dates with these girls. That doesn't make sense. If he's getting money 
out of them and then spending it on them, then he's not really getting money out of them, right? Like, what's the purpose of all of this? Mm-hmm. Two things. So the first part of this is that Cody's personality just starts shining through. The guy has no plan. None at all. His plan is to move on from girl to girl. He woos a girl with all this money and extravagance. Then he starts asking to borrow money. And using that borrowed money, he woos the next girl, right? He would shower the next girl in gifts until he does it over and over and over again. So it's not a good business model, but that's what Cody did because at the end of the day, Cody loves attention. That's what he loves. He loves people falling at his feet. Now with Rebecca, he wanted something more. He wanted Rebecca's townhome, and within weeks, he moved in and started calling the place his home, and Rebecca was so in love, she couldn't care less, and even more so in love when Cody said he wanted to help her remodel. He started hanging up this thick butcher paper onto the windows of the first floor, talking about, I'm going to paint the interior for you, babe, but two years later, butcher paper stayed up. For two years, none of the interior walls were painted, and Rebecca was losing money. Cody was squeezing her dry every week. He had a new excuse. My ex-wife, she's really pursuing this legally, and I can't get access to the trust fund for the legal battle, so I need to borrow some money. Listen, it's for my kid. I wouldn't ask if it wasn't for my kid. He was using the other money on other women, dancers, limos, bars, extravagant dates. Rebecca didn't know this, but she was getting fed up. So she tells Cody, you've got two weeks to give me all the money that I let you borrow, pay me back, and get the hell out of my place. I'm done. And what do you know? Miraculously, a few days later, Cody says his trust fund has been released by the courts, and all Rebecca needed to do for him was one last thing. Write a check for $56,000 to his lawyers. And once they get it, all the money from the trust fund will be put into her account. Jeez. Rebecca was a bit confused, but she went with it. I mean, it's not like she had the $56,000 in her account to even go through. I mean, it didn't feel like a gamble. Meanwhile, Cody was excited because he's telling her, I'm going to take you to Vegas. We're going to get the trust fund. It's going to be magical. Then Cody wakes up in preparation. You know, he goes to the store to prep. What do you think he's getting? Maybe some snacks and drinks for their road trip to Vegas? He went out and bought a new circular saw. Lava soap, which is marketed as soap that is good for scrubbing almost anything off the skin. Four large eye bolts, nylon rope, duct tape, and... Huh. So many options to choose from. He didn't know if he should go with the axes or the sledgehammers or maybe the mall. You know the mall? The splitting mall would be perfect. You know what that is? It's an axe-looking thing that woodchoppers use to cut big logs in half. Yeah, if you could split a log in half, it'd be perfect. Perfect for their little trip to the Vegas. Who doesn't happen upon a bunch of logs that they need to split and throw into the fire in the middle of a casino desert? Exactly. He packs everything into his little truck, drives home, and finds Rebecca. Hey babe, you ready for the surprise? Cody said Rebecca seemed really excited and she's filled with joy and happiness. Here, come to the living room, babe. Which, side note, the living room is completely unfinished. There's no carpet, no flooring really, it's just plywood floors. But Cody had set up a chair in the middle of the room. Come, come sit. Okay, hold out your hands. And Cody plops down the heaviest briefcase straight onto her lap. It felt like it was filled with tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, it looked like those movies, those mafia movies where you open the briefcase. So Rebecca is starting to feel giddy. This is the money that he needed to pay her back. I mean, she's been so stressed with the money and the debt, and now all that stress was going to slip away. She had no idea that the briefcase wasn't filled with cash. It was filled with newspapers. Cody got up and poured some champagne in their glasses to celebrate. And then took a few sips, and he said, before I open it, I want to cover your face with a blanket so it'll enhance the surprise. And she's like, no, my hair, I just did my hair. Like, But he insisted, and she relented. 
Cody scurried into the garage to get something, and in the middle of that dark, empty, unfinished living room, Rebecca was sitting on that chair with a blanket over her head, excited and nervous and just so happy that things were working out. She was probably happy that she had faith in people and Cody and that she had seen the good in him and now is paying off. She had no idea that Cody was creeping up behind her with an axe in his hand. He walked up behind Rebecca, who was completely unaware of his presence, and he lifted the mall above her head, paused for a second, and slammed it down as hard as possible. He crushed the side of Rebecca's skull. Then he lifted it again, and with all his strength, sent it crashing down, again and again. He said that her head was slowly turning into mush. A hole even formed in the blanket, and it was just seeping blood and brain matter. And when he felt like he was finally done, he didn't bother cleaning up the mall. He just put it in the hall closet coated with brain matter and blood. He said he could hear the sound of blood rushing out of Rebecca's head. It sounded like a waterfall because there was a gaping hole now. And so he grabbed a plastic bag and wrapped it around her head. He tied up her arms and legs with rope, even though he knew that she wasn't going to be able to escape. And this is the part that really... He bound her up with duct tape till she looked like a mummy and then dragged her to the side of the room and plopped her down. As he's about to walk away, he sees it on the ground. A two-inch piece of skull lying on the ground, bloody, with blonde hair still attached. Cody said he grabbed the thing closest to him, which was an ice cream wrapper, and used it to pick up the bone and kept Rebecca's skull in the ice cream wrapper, almost like his own little trophy. This was his very first kill that we know of, but in just three days he would kill again. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and grocery stores. The Dash Pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average. The math is mathing. Plus, Dash Pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for Dash Pass today only on DoorDash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at our house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. 
Farmer's dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Candace was a girlfriend of Cody's. Candace was a 48-year-old bartender. She had met Cody six months prior when he had walked into the hotel bar that she was working at. It was around Christmas time and he was like a cowboy Santa strolling through. Every drink she put down, he would slam down an even more generous tip. He was charming, wanted to talk to her, asked her about her day. I mean, he seemed to really care about Candace's life about her relationship with her 18-year-old daughter, Holly, what it was like being a single mom. I mean, Candace thought that she was in love. Holly, her daughter, didn't think so. Holly was a little bit more skeptical, like, Mom, don't you guys think you're moving a bit too fast? You've known each other for what, like a few weeks, and you guys are constantly hanging out on the phone with each other, attached at the hip, and like, Mom, I don't know, he sounds too good to be true. What do you mean by that, Holly? Holly wanted to say, I mean, the guy said that he made $50 million in real estate in Hawaii, and he's constantly flying around the country to purchase rare gems, and allegedly, he's in the mafia business. I mean, it's a lot to take in, no? But Holly bit her tongue because her mom was happy for once. And maybe she was just being too protective. She just wanted her mom to be happy. So with Candace, Cody starts borrowing money because, well, like every other relationship, his money was tied up in a trust fund that was tied on, tied up in an ongoing custody battle with an ex-wife that was a vicious stripper. So that's great. And at first, Cody was really good at paying her back. He would borrow a thousand, give it back the next day. Borrow a thousand, give it back the next day. So when he asked to borrow $10,000, which is everything Candace had, I mean, she gave it to him. How could she say no? He told her that he needed the money for his greedy stripper ex-wife so that he could get custody because their daughter was being raped by one of the greedy stripper's ex-wife's best friends. And this is what he needed to do. Like, how do you say no to that? Besides, Cody promised to pay it right back. But slowly, the months start inching by. Not a single penny is paid back. Candace's daughter is getting suspicious of the guy because Cody said that he was going out on business once. And they literally caught him in town still. So that got Candace thinking, okay, what else is this guy not telling me? When she was in his truck one day, she opened up the glove compartment and found the title to the car was registered to a woman named Rebecca Holberton. Who is Rebecca Holberton? I mean, clearly there's something going on that he's not telling her. But anytime she tried to ask any questions, Cody phrased it as if he couldn't tell her because, you know, the less she knew, the safer she was. And she trusted him. He was a hitman after all. And soon after, Candace got some really good news. Cody called to tell her that his trust fund was kicking in. And he's like, yeah, I know. Okay, this is so exciting. You're going to get all your money back. Thank you for being so patient. I want to take you to Las Vegas first, where we're going to withdraw $100,000 in cash to give to you as a thank you. You're like the only one that believed in me, you know, for keeping all my mob secrets. 
But that's not all. When we get there, I am inheriting a brand new Toyota 4Runner and I want you to have it. So you're going to need to get car insurance on that car ASAP. And then another update. Actually, instead of the $100,000, I'm not going to give you $2.5 million. Okay, Candace was excited and every day it's like things are getting better. Now it wasn't just the millions of dollars in the new car. Cody said that he bought two mansions in Las Vegas right next to each other and one of them was going to be his. The other one was Candace's. They were both huge multi-million dollar mansions with huge palm trees and their own swimming pools. She sh- he showed her a binder full of pictures. And Candace was over the moon. I mean, but she wasn't dumb. She admitted to her daughter that she thought that Cody was exaggerating. And I'm sure he didn't actually do all of that. But listen, even a tenth of that, even just getting my money paid back, like that's a lot. I need it. Holly was even more skeptical, but again, she wanted her mom to be happy. So Cody picks up Candace to take her to Vegas. Their bags are packed. But first, he says, I want to show you a surprise. Cody drives all the way home to the home that he stole from Rebecca, remember? The townhome that Rebecca has been lying dead in for the past three days. She was still in the living room when Cody escorted Candace in. But the windows are practically boarded up. The whole place is littered with wrappers, trash bags, renovation material. Candace hardly noticed the large garbage-covered lump in the corner. She didn't even notice the smell. It was that smelly. And in the middle of the living room, there was a chair. Very creepy, if you ask me. It's the very same chair that Rebecca sat on before she was murdered. He did the same thing. He said, here, sit down and take this briefcase on your lap. You know, again, she thought it was going to be filled with money. I want to put this blanket over your head to enhance the experience. She said, no, we're going to Vegas like my hair. Okay, fine, but you have to promise to keep your eyes closed. Of course. Candace kept her promise, and she didn't see Cody walk up behind her with a bloody maul. She didn't see him slam it down onto her skull. Cody said that the blade part of the maul got stuck and he had to yank it out and slam it down again. He kept hitting and hitting until he was happy. And when he was done, he walked over to the closet, threw the bloody maul in, unzipped his pants, pulled out his private part, and urinated on Candace's head and shoulders. Just like he did with Rebecca three days ago, he grabbed a plastic bag, wrapped it around Candace's head to catch the blood and brain matter that was coming out, dragged her body next to the fireplace in the living room, and covered her with a blanket. When he was done, he slid a mattress into the living room, so whoever sat on the living room murder chair next would be staring directly at the mattress. It was perfect, he thought. Then he nailed some screws to the wall near the mattress so he could chain someone to it. And when he was happy with his handiwork, he picked up his phone and called one of his many girlfriends, Beth Weeks. Hey, Beth. Hey, what are you and your roommate Suzanne doing tonight? You want to meet me at the bars? Yeah, okay, that sounds perfect. See you then. Cody smiles to himself while he tucks his phone away in his pocket. He had to clean himself up because it was about to be a fun night. Beth was 35 years old. Let me give you a little backstory on Beth. Beth was divorced with three kids, struggling to make ends meet. Her 21-year-old roommate, Suzanne, was also her best friend as well as a roommate. And she was just so excited to go out and let out some steam with Cody. Cody was a regular at a bar that they frequented. I mean, he was practically a celebrity at that bar, Wild Bill Cody. That's what they called him. His cowboy boots were cute, enduring, if even. And the rumors of him being involved in the mafia only added to his intrigue. Cody was the type of guy at the bar that when you got up to use the restroom, he would get up. And when you got back, he would stand up for you to sit down. And he would rip the guys a new one. He would say, hey, men are to stand up when a lady comes back to sit down. If Beth brought out a cigarette, he was quick to whip out his lighter and he would look around and tell the boys, a lady shouldn't have to light her own cigarettes. I mean, it was hard for Beth and Suzanne to not like the guy. Even for Suzanne's birthday, Cody asked to come over and he made it rain $101 bills onto her bed. They hardly knew each other. This is a huge gift. 
especially because Beth said, you know, they were dating and Cody and Beth were seeing each other. So Suzanne thought, makes sense. So that night after killing Candace, Cody wants to meet up with Beth, his girlfriend, and their roommate, Suzanne. And to Suzanne's surprise, they get to a restaurant with Beth, and there's another woman there with Cody. Her name is Angela Fight, and she's getting really cozy with Cody. If you just walked by, you would think that Angela and Cody were dating, not Beth and Cody. And it was just so strange. Like, they were giving off the impression that they were definitely intimate. But wasn't Cody dating Beth? I mean, this was such a head trip. Suzanne decided, I'm not going to judge, because what do I know? Maybe Beth doesn't care who Cody sees as long as he pays the bills. Not everybody's perfect. Not every relationship is perfect. Beth has three kids she has to support, so maybe it makes sense. Maybe that's the arrangement they have. Either way, rich people are weird, and Cody is rich, and he only picked them up in limousines, and maybe this isn't like the conventional relationships. Suzanne is really trying to be open-minded here. Besides that dinner, though, Cody asked Suzanne if she wanted to work for him that night. So she's like, what? Yeah, do you want to work for me? I have this mortgage company and I'm looking for an assistant. Obviously, I'll pay you more than what you're making right now. You can travel a lot from Las Vegas to Denver and it'll be great. Suzanne was 21. She had just started her career. So she's like, this is amazing. This is like jump starting my career. Amazing. But you need to start ASAP and you have to come to Vegas with me for like two nights to meet with our firm's attorneys, sign some contracts, do some basic training. Two, two nights in Vegas? Suzanne didn't really feel that comfortable. This is her friend's boyfriend and she barely knows the guy. Cody realized that Suzanne maybe wasn't the most comfortable with this two night trip. So he said, okay, well, if you can't do two nights, maybe we can try to do an overnight trip. That night, Suzanne went home and asked Beth for her opinion. And she's like, do, do you think I should take it? Do you think it's safe for me to go to Vegas with him? I mean, I barely know him. Beth's like, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't think he would ever do anything to hurt either one of us. So just like that, Suzanne agrees to the trip. And two days later, she's packing her bags to go to Vegas with Cody. He comes to pick her up around 7 p.m. But instead of driving straight to Vegas, which was the plan, Cody's like, I want to stop by my house and I want to show you a surprise that I'm planning for Beth. She's like, okay, that's a little complex. What do you mean you want to show me? So I need you to pretend to be Beth so I can make sure that the surprise actually works. Um, that's a little bit weird, but I I guess I'll do anything for Beth. Cody parks in front of Rebecca's townhome, asked to blindfold Suzanne and duct tape her across the mouth. What? Yeah, well, that's how I'm going to do it with Beth when I show her the surprise. Um, okay. She let him do it. She said it wasn't painful, just uncomfortable. And then he led her into the house. Here, sit down, slowly. Now, Suzanne is blindfolded, but judging by how far she fell from where she was standing to the ground, I mean, it's very clear that she's sitting very close to the ground on maybe a cushion or what felt like a mattress on the ground. There was a lot of space. It was very cushiony. She wasn't panicked until she felt herself getting restrained. Cody started tying up her arms and legs. She was being tied up spread eagle on this mattress on the ground. And she starts crying. She's blindfolded and Cody's getting pissed. It's like her tears flipped a switch inside of him and he screams at her. Shut up, quit crying. You haven't seen cold and mean yet. Then he starts fumbling with her blouse, trying to get it to open. She felt this cold steel object against her chest. It was a knife. He's using it to cut off her bra and then her pants and then her underwear. Then he pulled the duct tape from her mouth. Do you want to die, Suzanne? No, no, please. Then do as you're told, okay? Just stay calm and stop crying. Suzanne nodded. Have you ever seen a human skull, Suzanne? What? No, I don't want to. I just want to leave. He got up and came back holding a piece of paper, what looked like an ice cream wrapper. 
He delicately pulled out what was inside of it, and it was a bloody piece of skull with hair still attached. It was a fragment of Rebecca's skull. He put it down on Suzanne's naked stomach and kept it there while he watched her. Like he was getting off on how she was squirming and freaking out about having a piece of skull on her stomach. The disgust on her face was getting Cody off. And eventually it seemed like he wanted more of a reaction. He jumped up and excitedly walked over to the lump in the corner, peeled back the blanket, and to Suzanne's horror, she saw him lift up a woman's limp pale leg and then drop it back onto the floor and it made a thud sound. Now Cody was really having fun. He smirked, walked over to the other lump in the corner and gave it a good hard kick. You know what's in here, right? Obviously another body. See, you're smart. I like that about you, Suzanne. I mean, Suzanne felt deep in her heart. She was next. Why else would he show her all of this? This is so strange. This is terrifying. But after that, Cody walks down, sits down next to her, and wants to have a therapy session of what she just saw. No, I'm serious. He wants to talk to her about her feelings of being exposed to two dead bodies. He said, I just wanted to understand, you know, what she was going through a little bit more. I mean, I know it might sound bizarre to you, but my concern for a victim, but believe me, I was concerned. Suzanne was a beautiful young lady and she never did nothing wrong to me, so just wanted to make sure she was okay after seeing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yet he proceeded to rape and torture her after. So he's like, tell me how you feel about seeing those dead bodies. I want to be your therapist. Okay, now let me rape you. When he was done, he left her in the living room tied up, and he threatened her that there were mafia members upstairs in the townhome that would kill her if she tried to escape, and they would rape her and kill her. So she couldn't make a noise. He had to go out and get something. But remember, there's mafia members upstairs. Suzanne said she was freaking out. I mean, she didn't know if these people were worse than Cody or how many of them there were. She said that she tried to focus on the sound of the TV so she wouldn't lose her mind while she waited for her impending doom. She was blindfolded again. Her mind is racing with thoughts of what's going to happen to her. She's not even sure how long had passed since Cody left. But then she heard the familiar voice in the house. It sounded like Cody and that woman, that woman from the diner, Angela. A little backstory, Angela and Cody were dating. She was one of Cody's many girlfriends and she had no idea that Cody was also seeing other women. I'm sure that dinner with Beth and Suzanne was weird, but Angela told herself there is no way, no way in hell that Cody would cheat on me so blatantly and even bring his other girlfriend to our dinner, right? Well, now she was in the living room with Cody, blindfolded and being tied up to the chair in the middle of the living room. Cody kept telling her it was for a surprise. Then he ripped off her blindfold. Angela's eyes adjusted to the dark. She noticed that the walls were peeling. The windows were covered in brown butcher paper. The entire place was a mess. To her right, there was a lump beneath the blanket. Near the fireplace, another lump. And in front of her, there was a lump on the mattress underneath the blanket. And Cody gets excited and gets in her face and says, Welcome to my mortuary. And he, like a magician, grabs the blanket from the mattress and rips it off. Angie saw Suzanne gagged, blindfolded, naked, and tied up on the mattress. Cody acted like everything was completely normal. He sat there, taking turns, taking the gags out of the woman's mouth and giving them cigarettes. He excused himself to go get the cat. Yeah, Rebecca had a cat and he wanted to show the girls the cat. So as he was coming back, Angie couldn't see him since her back was towards where he was coming from, but Suzanne could. And Suzanne's eyes widened, and before she could even warn Angie, Cody lifted up the maul and struck it down on Angie's head. Suzanne said it was like a man chopping wood. He lifted it again and again and again, and it was methodical. And then when he was done, he calmly walked over to the closet and threw the bloody maul in. He threw a blanket over Angie's head, 
And he said, I know, the sound of that sounds like a waterfall, right? But you know, I had to kill her. Cody sits down, casually smoking a cigarette. You know, she was telling people that I was with the mafia and I told her not to tell anyone. But did you see how calm and smooth I was doing? <laughs> but she didn't even see it coming. After finishing his cigarette, Cody forced Suzanne to perform oral sex on him right next to Angie's dead body and the bodies of Rebecca and Candace in the same room. And all the while, he kept asking her, do you want to die? Do you want to die? And she's like, no, please, no. Then Cody raped her and she was forced to spend the rest of the night tied up on the mattress and she just tried to be on her best behavior. She tried to play into Cody's anger and she agreed, you know, Angie did deserve to die if you can't trust her. Untrustworthy people are the worst. Suzanne said her goal was to not have Cody leave her side, which, I mean, this is her rapist and her captor. The last thing she wants to do is be in close proximity to the guy, but she felt like if he left, he would sneak back up on her with the mall and kill her too. She said not for a single second did she ever forget about the presence of the three corpses. It was terrifying, and she did not understand why he didn't kill her. But before she knew it, it was the next morning. Cody untied her, loaded her up into his truck. They drove to a diner to eat, barely touched their food. Now, this is where it gets bizarre. Cody drives her home, forces her to call his girlfriend, Beth, aka Suzanne's roommate, and tell her how the Las Vegas trip went. It was amazing, right? Can't wait to see you when you get home from work. They waited for Beth to get home. And then the three of them watched a movie. And then after the movie, Cody led the woman into the kitchen, awkwardly sitting there, and he told them everything from the beginning. How he killed Rebecca, then Candace, then Angie in front of Suzanne, how he raped Suzanne. And Beth started freaking out, so Cody whipped out his gun and put it to her head. Do you want to die? No? Then do exactly as I say, exactly as I say. So the three of them sat there while Cody whipped out a tape recorder and he pressed play. And for the next two hours, he confessed to all of the murders all over again. And this time, recorded. He was fumbling with the gun the whole time. Beth and Suzanne were terrified. They didn't know where this was going. Afterwards, get this, Cody calls a news reporter slash drinking buddy that he had named Steve. Steve doesn't answer. So Cody leaves a message and he says, I got a big story for you. You better call me back. Then he notices that the girls are trembling in fear and he tells them, you got to call whoever you need to make you feel safe. Just one person, a guy, you know, someone you trust, but you know, is not going to try something with me. So the two girls call their 34-year-old friend, David Kanover, who Cody forced to sit there in the kitchen and re-listen to his two-hour-long confession that he audio recorded just like an hour ago with the two girls. And that night, Cody forced David, Beth, and Suzanne to go to the strip club with him while they all got hammered. And he kept buying all his hostages drinks. I mean, they were scared shitless. They, they were terrified. He was tipping lavishly. I mean, it was the strangest night of their lives. And the next morning, Steve finally calls Cody back and he confesses to everything. He even said, you know the three girls I killed? It's just the start. I actually have a list of 30 more people that I wanted to kill, but I'm calling you because I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to kill myself, actually. What? And he hung up. And just like that, he walked out on Beth, Suzanne, and David. They had no idea where he was going. They had no idea if this was all a test. But once he was out of sight, they called the police. And the police got calls from three people. Steve, the reporter... They got it from Beth and all of her friends and then Rebecca's workplace because Rebecca hadn't shown up to work for a while. The police actually did a wellness check on her townhome where they found the bodies of three women. So now that the police are up to speed, they're looking for the serial killer. You know, he was he told multiple people that he wanted to keep killing. Time was of the essence. They had no idea what Cody's plans were. 
So they're on the phone with him and they're like, hey, you got to come. Like, it's fine. We're going to just turn yourself in. Everything's going to be okay. And he does. He turns himself in and he gets arrested and charged with 13 different crimes. And when he was asked why he did all of this, he said some weird things. He said, well, I killed Candace because Candace was raped by this guy named Jimmy. Okay. Now, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy's weird. Jimmy, you got to own up to raping Candace. You did something you shouldn't have done with a woman who said no. And no means no. This is what a killer is saying. This is coming from Candace's killer. And I, I'm so lost and I'm grossed out by him, by Jimmy and by the world. I mean, they're both disgusting. Cody said that the only reason that Candace was even in his life was because of Jimmy the rapist. He felt so bad that Jimmy raped Candace that he wanted to show her that real men could be nice. What? But then she became obsessed with him, according to Cody. This is all not true. But uh, Candace became obsessed with him and he had to kill her. He said, you know, and I quote, she wanted a piece of my ass, you know. When he was asked about why he killed Rebecca, he said, you know, I'm not going to air out her dirty laundry. You don't need to know her sexual habits or how dirty she likes to keep her house. Let's just say I'm not the only pig. He said because of him, Rebecca was racking up debt and debt is a silent killer and a financial nightmare. So he killed her because she would have been so stressed out from the bills anyway. He said he killed her because the financial burden would have killed her and he was taking mercy on her. He claimed that he killed Angie because she was a snitch. She was telling people that he was part of the mafia. It's just the whole thing is weird. He also bragged about how he chose the murder weapon because it's supposed to be the least painful way. He said, I chose them all because it's the least painful way to kill them. It's just boom, dead. And if they weren't dead and just throbbing, so to speak, they sure as hell weren't thinking of the pain. Which side note, a forensic pathologist would later determine Rebecca died almost instantly. But Candace and Angie were alive for several minutes and they bled to death. I mean, the contradictions that this guy makes is out of this world. But let's be real. The only reason he turned himself in was because he knew that he was going to get caught sooner or later. He knew it. I think he didn't want to kill Suzanne because he was getting off on the reactions that she was giving him. The shock of looking at the dead bodies. But he wanted more. So that's why he sat Beth down and told them everything. And then when that felt so good and he was getting that rush, he asked them to call another friend. He reached out to a reporter. I mean, he was busy chasing the high of everyone giving him attention for his crimes. He felt so good about it. And since he was in too deep, there was no way that he wasn't going to get caught now. There was no way he was going to kill himself because he's a narcissistic killer. So he turned himself in and he talked nonstop once he got arrested. I also think that once Cody raped Suzanne, he didn't want to kill her, not because he's a great person with morals, but in his mind, he was able to kill all these other women because they were messed up in his head. But he made them out to be villains, but by raping Suzanne, he couldn't do that. That's why it's believed that he spared her. In the end, Cody pled guilty. And truly, I think he did this all for attention. He was given the death penalty, but it was later commuted to a life sentence. The only time that Cody ever got emotional was when investigators brought up his mom. It was weird. He just kept saying, you know, my mom is love. I just, I don't want to talk about my mom, okay? It's a lot of emotions. All I want for her to be is alive. God, I'm sorry for getting so emotional. It's just things like this make me emotional. And because of that, there have been some speculations online that the woman that molested him maybe wasn't a family friend. Because mm. the whole thing is so bizarre. Yeah. His attachment to his mom and... Now, while gathering evidence, investigators felt confident that Cody was involved in other cases, some in Colorado, New York, other places where he used to live, but nothing clearly tied him to those crimes. It's suspected, though, that he has a lot more than three victims. And that is the story of serial killer Wild Bill Cody. He's just so sick. Like, he reminds me of someone that's so frantic, and I just imagine him being high energy and over the top, but just dead in the eyes. 
Yeah, unpredictable too. Yes, so unpredictable. Just sick, twisted. What are your thoughts? And、um, please stay safe out there. And I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini sode. Bye.